Well, good morning. It's, uh, let's just say it, winter's the worst. It's okay if you feel that way. It's good to be together today. It's good that we can gather here, um, especially as we reflect on brothers and sisters around the world who, who can't as freely gather. And so today, uh, we, we don't take that for granted, we don't take that lightly, as, we, uh, as we're in this first Sunday of Lent. And uh, for those of you, maybe, maybe you are uh, engaging in the Lenten season, maybe you've given something up, maybe you've had a raging caffeine headache at some point this week, or uh, maybe you have just flown off the handle at somebody at some point for no other reason than you were hungry, um, I don't know. But today, today's a good day, because Sundays are feast days. So, if you, if you are engaging in a Lenten fast, you have, you have done the hard work. Today, this is a, a command from your pastoral staff. Take a break. Have a piece of chocolate. Whatever it is you've given up, please uh, enjoy that today, and so it'll be twice as hard to give up tomorrow. Uh, but we, we enter into this season as we journey towards the cross. And, and we're with Jesus uh, walking on, on His journey and he's telling stories, and these parables are stories that have a way of, of sort of not seeming like they're about God or about his kingdom, but they are. And so uh, Virgil, the great epic poet, tells the story of the fall of Troy. And, and, and he talks about how the Greeks, they were tired of sitting outside the city walls of Troy, tired of trying to figure out how to lay siege to the city, so they, they hatched a plan. They said, we'll build a big horse. And in that horse, we'll put some of our finest fighters. And, and we'll wheel that horse up to the city gates of Troy. And so they did. And, and the Trojans see this giant horse, and that's not something you see every day. And so they wondered, what, what was this for? The Greeks sent a spy in to explain what was going on so conveniently. And he told the representatives of the, of the city of Troy... That, um, that the horse had been left there in order that uh, there, there might be an offering to the goddess Minerva. And so, basically, the, the horse had been entrusted to the Trojan city, and now it was up to the city of Troy to take care of this horse, make sure nothing happened to it. Now, there were some smart guys in, in the uh, city of Troy. They said, we should burn this thing right now. But, uh, as we know from our, our tale, what did they do? They wheeled the horse right into the city walls, right? Infiltrating the defenses. Uh, at, at, uh, as the Trojans were celebrating their, their victory, they thought the Greeks had gone out past the sea uh, back to their homeland. So they're celebrating. And while they're reveling in their victory, uh, the Greeks sneak out of the horse, take out the guards, open the city gates for the rest of their army to come in. And that is how the city of Troy according to Virgil, fell. And I think Jesus tells these stories that aren't that different. Uh, it, it seems like it's something that seems pretty important. It seems like it's something that maybe even is from God. And it's sitting outside the city walls, and, and as he tells these stories, he's inviting us to let them in. Because as we let them infiltrate our defenses, as we let them get our guards down, we find that these parables, these stories that Jesus tells do their work from the inside. And so today, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus, and in some strange way, it describes the kingdom of God. And Jesus is walking through Samaria. He's between Galilee and Jerusalem, where he will inevitably go to the cross. 
And so this is where we find ourselves in this Lenten season, in the in-between time. We are on a journey towards Jerusalem. But for now, Jesus is telling stories. And so we will listen and try to see what on earth he is saying. Um, I don't know about you, I really enjoy the Oceans movies. Uh, Oceans 11, 12, 13. Now, some of you who are, shall we say, a little more advanced in wisdom and life will know that those movies are a remake of an original. But I, I really like the George Clooney, you know, Brad Pitt version. Um, and, and the funny thing about those movies is, if you really look at it from a moral standpoint, you're rooting for a bunch of thieves, Right? Like, they really get you to, uh, to be on the side of the people who, I mean, are committing some sort of felony, right? And, and I love those movies. I love just the way the dry sense of humor, just very subtle remarks. I think they're very good. But they don't raise a lot of moral questions for us, do they? I mean, the, the Ocean's movies, the, uh, the questions they raise is like, how is George Clooney so cool? I mean, let's be honest here. Or like, are all men from Oklahoma good-looking as Brad Pitt? I don't know. I don't know. They don't raise a lot of moral questions. And so uh, we wonder uh, when we find ourselves with this story that we're about to look at today, just what on earth is going on? So we're going to look in Luke chapter 16. Jesus has just told probably the best story he's got. And and it's almost like an artist that that finds uh, widespread success and acclaim when they have their their work that is just the the most widely embraced by the public, it's almost like he's like, all right, you thought that was good, now I'm going to do this. And and this story is so so strange, it just seems like he's like, hmm, we'll see what's going on here. So Luke chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, verse 1, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And so the story just immediately is into the action. There's a rich man. He's in charge. He's the boss. He has hired a manager to handle his affairs. And he says, give an account of your management. You cannot be manager any longer. And so he comes to this guy who apparently in some way has been swindling or stealing from him. And he fires him. And notice, the the manager does not offer anything in his defense. He is silent. He's quiet. uh, He has nothing to say, no plea to enter. He accepts his resignation. Um, The rich man fires him on the spot and says, you've been stealing from me. You will be stealing from me no longer. You're out. And so the manager, in accepting his fate, sometimes we miss a very important part of this story. You see, even here... Where the rich man comes, he looks at the situation, he judges it pretty fairly, I would say. The guy's stealing from him. He says, you're fired. But in those days, that wasn't all, the the whole uh, bit of penalty that was available to him. You see, the rich man could have had the manager thrown in jail, and he, he would have had to stay there until every last penny of his debt was paid back. And if you're in jail, I don't really know how you're accumulating income. And so he's stuck there. So even here, this this rich man comes and he judges the manager, but there is mercy. There is fairness. And we see that the manager, he seems to understand that. He doesn't have anything to say in his defense. And so we look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? 
My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So the, the, the manager has a crisis in this moment. He's, he's looking at his life. He's looking at his skills, the things that he's built up. And he says, you know what? Uh, I'm not strong enough to dig. And as I was reading this passage, are, do any of you guys work outside during the week? Oh man, thank God. I, I was thinking about those people as I drive by, working construction, working uh, outside. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not strong enough to do that. Like, when it's, when it's negative 40 degrees or whatever, it doesn't even matter at, at some point what the temperature is. It's like Arctic vortex cold. I'm not strong enough. I felt what this manager was thinking. But he looks at his skills, he looks at his strengths, he says, I'm, I'm not strong enough to do that. And now, he says, I'm also not, uh, not going to beg. You see, this culture, the, the ancient Near Eastern culture that Jesus is telling this story in, was a culture that, that focused heavily on honor and shame. That one of the primary goals of one's life was to, was to maintain your honor or to increase it. And, and basically that was the, the public's opinion of you. The public's opinion of your family and the place that you come from. And so this, this uh, manager, if he were to uh, succumb to begging in the streets... Not only has he not increased his honor, he's done one of the, uh, the worst things you can do in this society. He has lost his honor. He has shamed himself in public. And he will be the laughingstock of the whole community. And so he's looking at these two options and he says, I don't like either of them. But we see in verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people here will welcome me into their houses. So he's got a plan. And Jesus, like a skilled storyteller, doesn't tell us what the plan is. He's just going to let it unfold. Let's look in verse 5. So, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And the man replied, 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. And so, it seems that this manager's job... Is to, is to manage the payments of the tenant farmers that rent land from this rich man. And so he, he has his accounts. Apparently the community doesn't know that he's been fired yet. So they still think that he's operating under the authority of the rich man. And so he calls uh, this first guy in and he says, quick, how much do you owe? He's not asking because he doesn't know. This guy knows where the money is. He's asking to verify, is this what we agreed upon? Okay. Cutting in half. And so then he asked the second in verse 7, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So when the story started, the manager was stealing from the rich man. And now he's decided to make it okay by stealing more from the rich man. Awesome. And so he is, he, he's cutting these bills in half. Imagine, those of you who are business owners, if you had hired somebody to work for you, and then you fired them because they were stealing from you. And then on their way out the door, they called your two biggest clients and just said, hey, uh, we're not going to do business with you anymore. Um, that would not only affect your business in the present, it would affect your business in the future. And so this, this manager, not only has he uh, undermined the, the rich man's trust, not only has he betrayed him, but he's also making sure that it doesn't go well for him in the future, or something like that. So he's cutting down the bills, he cuts them in half. And so it's at this point, this is a really quick, just 
fast-moving story. It's at this point that the rich man is reintroduced into the story. And what are we expecting to happen? Dude, I fired you before for stealing. I didn't throw you in jail. I mean, seriously, now you've stolen more, essentially. You're going to jail. And as the rich man re-enters the picture, Jesus totally blows everybody's mind. And he says, verse 8, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Oh, you stole from me and I fired you, but then you went behind my back and cut the bills of of some of my biggest tenant farmers. i got to say, you did a real good job. You know, in fact, why don't you, you know, I'll just give you a little bonus here too. What is going on? And Jesus is supposed to be the, the, the guardian of truth and justice in the world. Is he really saying that this, this manager who's stealing all over the place is doing a great job? Now, Jesus has a way of telling stories like this. There's a, there's a parable of an unjust judge. There's a parable of sort of a, a, a wicked king who invites people uh, to a banquet. There's a, there's a parable where somebody gets thrown out of a wedding banquet because they don't have the right clothes on. Jesus' stories are certainly uh, puzzling, to say the least. And, and Jesus delights in telling stories like this. Because he's illustrating that if, if, if wicked uh, people can, can behave okay in these scenarios, if this can go on in this time, how much more the God who is perfect and lovely and just. But I still don't think we really have a concept of what's going on in this story yet. So I want to look at, just unpack a couple things I think that Jesus is getting at in this story. And we'll see if we can make some sense of it. The first thing I think we see is that the rich man is demanding. He is demanding. He comes and he sees that the manager has been stealing from him. And he makes a judgment. It is fair. It is concise. And he says that you are fired. But don't miss the fact that in that scenario, he is merciful. Uh, the, the people listening to Jesus would have expected uh, more judgment coming from the rich man. But what they see is, is a profound mercy. And so the rich man is demanding, yet merciful. And, and as Jesus is illustrating what the kingdom of God looks like, uh, you, you can see Jesus coming back, coming to his world to see what has become of it. And it's not that he's been far off. And I think this is one of the mistakes we make. The rich man is not oblivious to what has been going on. He's not just letting the manager run his money six months at a time and coming back in to check in. Now he knows what's going on. But Jesus comes to the world as the rightful king. As John says, light shines in the darkness and it reveals us for who we are. And as the rich man comes back, we see that the, uh, the manager's sin is very plain and very evident. And as Jesus, as the rightful coming king, he shows our sins for what they are. He shows that we were made in God's image. We were made to reflect him on, in the earth. We were made to love God, to love one another, and we have not done any of that. He's shown us for what we are. And really, if we read the story carefully, we see that we probably deserve judgment. But what do we find? We find mercy. We, we find a God who is rich in mercy, even though we deserve something far different. And so I think that the kingdom calls the whole world to, the, to account. When the king comes, it shows our deeds in the light of what they are. 
And we find that, yes, we have fallen short. Yes, we have not loved as we should love, but we find a God who is more loving, more merciful, and more just. We were made to be in God's image. We were made to be intimate in relationship with Him. And how often have we fallen short of that? And when the King comes back, when He comes to call His kingdom to account, we see that that is who we are. We are like the manager. We have mismanaged. We have stolen. We have betrayed. We have lied. But we find mercy. You know, my... Uh, Courtney and I are in a great phase of life. It's been just amazing and beautiful and lovely. And uh, I, I, being at home for me is like is, is seriously the best thing ever right now. And I don't I don't ever want to leave because Evie is just doing things that uh, I mean don't seem like they're humanly possible. Oh yeah, uh, this is not just an excuse for you guys to see how cute my daughter is. I promise. But we we've arrived at that phase of life that all of you who are parents will understand. It's not that, I mean, Evie can still do no wrong. Don't get me wrong. We have to be a little bit more intentional about discipline, about saying no. You know, and really, discipline is not an absence of love. Judgment is not an absence of love. Yeah, sure, Evie, put your finger in the light socket. That's not loving. Sure, Evie, go play in traffic. Not loving. No, discipline isn't a reflection of our love and care. And just as Courtney and I have had to tell Evie no every once in a while, I mean, not often, God is, is pointing us towards His beautiful truth. He's pointing us towards a direction that reflects Him, that looks like Him. And those things that are out of bounds, those things that don't look like Him, He's trying to steer us away from. And here, this is a pretty safe example, right? I mean, the guy's stealing. We all know that's wrong. What about our own lives? Where is God calling us to account? Where is He saying, give an account of your management? How have you reflected my image in the world? And guys, uh, if this is a question that you find yourself wrestling with, if this is a question you find yourself falling short, welcome. You're in in a community of hypocrites, of liars, of people that don't do what they say they're going to do, of people that don't uh, love God the way that we should. You're in a church. Welcome. You know, people say that the church is full of hypocrites, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I I, I am. But we find a God who is infinitely more merciful and just and is calling us out into something bigger. So why, the question becomes, why, how could Jesus commend this manager for what he does? Jesus, in telling the story, seems to be giving approval to his actions. How could he say, good job? You stole the first time, you got fired. You stole the second time. Great work. The manager makes one truly wise and profound decision. And it's one I hope we can see so clearly here today. Because the manager is left with two options. He can beg or dig. He can try to scrape his own existence out because he has been fired. Or he can see the mercy of his master... He can see the mercy of the rich man and say, you know, if the rich man was merciful in this thing, what if he's merciful again? And so the the manager goes to the people of the town and he says, take your bill and cut it in half. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever gotten a substantial raise, but what did you do that night? You're probably like, hey, kids, we're going out to dinner. We're getting apps and zerts. Come on. The town is celebrating 
They are celebrating the kindness of this rich man. They are, they are saying, this guy's awesome. We love this guy. And so what is the rich man going to do? The managers put him in quite a precarious position. Is he going to go and call the people that have been forgiven their debts in and say, um, about that? Uh, actually, that guy was a total, total scoundrel, and uh, he was not operating under my authority. I mean, you can see how that's going to make him look bad. Or is he just going to accept things as they are? You see, this manager makes one truly beautiful and amazing, uh, really, he bets his whole existence on this one thing, that the rich man is rich in grace. He bets his whole existence that this rich man has kindness to spare, that he is abundant in his mercy. And he says, well, either way, kind of up a creek, so let's, let's give this a shot. And so in canceling the debts of the people in the community, he bets his whole life, his whole reality on the grace of the rich man. And what does he find? He finds that the rich man says that you have judged wisely. You have judged my character wisely. In in betting on the grace of, of the rich man, the manager has rightly assumed the rich man's character. And I wonder today, how many of us have rightly assumed this about God. Now, Jesus can tell these kind of stories without saying, sure, go out when you leave here and go steal something. It's not what he's saying. But what he's pointing to is what it means to live wisely in the world. To live wisely in the world is to see God's grace for what it is. It is infinite. God is inviting us to see His character, to behold who He uh, is, is showing that us that He is. And this, this manager bets his whole existence, his whole life, on the grace of the rich man, and he finds that he was right. This rich man is abundant in grace. He has grace upon grace to spare. Um, many of you guys have probably seen uh, Victor Hugo's Les Mis, adapted for, for movie or film. I, I would say a few of us have probably read the book. Uh, but in that story, uh, it's one of the most vivid depictions of God's grace uh, I think that we have in literature. And Jean Valjean is a, is a crook. He, he stole a loaf of bread. And, and much, much like our prison system operates sometimes, that gets you 19 years in prison, apparently. And so he's in prison for 19 years. Then when he gets out, he can't find a job. He is poor. He is destitute. And he's in this town, and the bishop of the town takes him in and feeds him and clothes him and, and, and really just opens up his house to him. And how does Jean Valjean repay the bishop? He steals. He steals the silverware and he makes his escape. And the police, they catch Jean Valjean. And they bring him to the bishop and they say, how did he get this stuff, essentially? And the bishop, the bishop says, I gave it to him. And it's from that moment on that Jean Valjean uh, sees what grace actually feels like. He has this extreme uh, show of mercy given to him. And he spends the rest of his life trying to show mercy and grace. Uh, It's interesting, the the actor who played uh, Jean Valjean in the the London adaptation and the Broadway adaptation uh, was actually in the movie, the recent movie, uh, the musical. He played the part of the bishop. And he said to receive that kind of grace night after night, and then for once just to be able to give it. 
was an amazing, amazing thing. And that story, I was just like, man. Like, I don't know if that guy's a Christian, but man, my gosh. He understands who God is. And so today, I wonder, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to throw our whole lives on the mercy of the rich man? What would it look like for us to throw our whole lives on the mercy of our loving Heavenly Father? He is rich and merciful. And and I think, man, we trade this, this kind of rich mercy, this abundant kindness for something so trivial and small. You see, the, the manager had a choice. He could have tried to scrape by his own existence, right? He could have tried to dig and beg and make his own life. And I think we do that. We trade the abundant, rich mercy of God for something so trivial and small. And God is inviting us to something so much bigger He's saying, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to invest your whole life, to throw it all to the wind and say, God, you are so infinite in your grace. You are so abundant in mercy. What would it look like for us to see our finances, our time, as as a reflection of God's abundant mercy? What would it look like for us as a church to be the kind of place that was rich, rich in mercy? I think that the manager makes one more really, really profound, and I'm not even sure if he intended to do this. Um, the, the, the manager receives the rich man's kindness by not being fired, by not being, or by not being imprisoned. And then he proceeds to extend that grace in some way to the community. And guys, this is a small picture of who we are to be. We have received an amazing amount of, of mercy where we uh, deserve judgment. And God is saying... You are mine. And His grace is is abundant and infinite. And we are surely debtors to grace as we sang. But God is inviting us to see Him for who He is. Paul says in, in Philippians 3, he says, all this stuff, all this stuff that I could work for, all this stuff that I could say I did, and look at me, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Look how strong I am. He says, all of that is nonsense and garbage compared to the richness of knowing Christ Jesus. And guys, I wonder today, could we be the kind of people who who look at our lives as a reflection of God's mercy, of His infinite, abundant kindness? What would that look like? This story is really crazy, right? I think the first time I read it, I just assumed I knew what it was going to say and just kind of didn't even notice the the twist in the story. I think the second time I read it, I was like, what? Something about grace is always shocking. It's always jarring. Jesus tells stories because they get our attention. They they get past our defenses, but ultimately they relate us to one another. Jesus came as God in the flesh telling stories, not so he could give you information so you would know about what God is supposed to do and how he's supposed to act, but so that you could know him. And Jesus came and he's walking towards the cross and he's walking towards his end. And he's telling stories. And I think this picture is such a beautiful depiction of what the kingdom of God looks like. If Jesus can tell a story about a guy like this and and say that it somehow, in some way, depicts what God's kingdom looks like, I think it shows us something truly beautiful about His kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is not a monument made of the finest stones. It's, It's a temple where the living God lives, where living souls of forgiven sons and daughters come and find grace and mercy even when we don't deserve it. The kingdom of God, yes, it calls us to account. And so today I hope that we can see 
uh, ourselves in the position of the manager in a couple of different ways. First of all, the manager, there's no words on his part that tried to defend himself. God show, or the, 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 the rich man shows him for who he is. He accepts his punishment. He knows that he has done wrong. And I think if we are honest with ourselves today, we don't have it all together. That if Jesus were to walk into this room, uh, none of us would be like, hey, I got this. Let me, uh, you know, let me be the first to go. We'd be terrified. And so I hope today that, that you can see that conviction is not God trying to keep you from doing things that would be really awesome if God just didn't say don't do them. Conviction is him trying to point us towards his beautiful reality, towards what it means to live in his kingdom. And I hope today that we can accept, maybe I don't have it all together. And and then the alternative for that is to either I can try to scrape by my own existence or I can throw myself completely on the mercy of my loving Father. So the first thing is that yes, there there is judgment. There is a reality where we have not done everything right. And if you think you have, you are delusional. The second thing I think we see, and I hope that we can see this more than anything else, is that the manager makes the best choice possible. He says, you know what? I got nothing to lose. My life as I knew it is now over. And this is what happens when the kingdom comes. When Jesus shows up, things change. When Jesus shows up, we are all called to make a decision. The cross represents a crossroads for us all. And we find ourselves today in the position of the manager and we say, either either I try to scrape my own life, I dig and I beg and I claw and I try to scrape out some meager existence, or I'll take a chance. I'll bet my life on the mercy of God. Because here's the thing, God was the first to take a chance on you. God took a chance on the world that he loves. In Philippians 2, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself, though he was in nature God. He he gave it all up. He, He bet his whole life on the world that he loves. He bet his whole life on us. And he's inviting us to do the same, to see his abundant mercy and to respond in kind. It's a crazy story. But the more I do this, as a pastor, the more I get to live with people that I, I love and, and, and admire and, and see God working in their lives, the kingdom of God is filled with ridiculous, crazy stories. And some of you today would sit here and say, yeah, I know what that manager was going through. And so guys, uh, as, we, as we wrap up today, I'm going to invite Michael and the guys to come back up. But as we, as we finish our time together, I hope you'll see that God is inviting you close to him. That God is, it was the first to, to bet his life. That he, he gave everything that he had. And he's inviting you to do the same. And so we're left with a question. We don't, get a, we don't get an ending to this parable. Jesus doesn't tell us it all works out. That it all ended happily ever after. And the manager and the rich man, they gave each other a, an up top and it was all good. All, all we see, all we're left with is a question. Will we, will we be the kind of people who throw our lives on the abundant and rich mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father? Would you pray with me? God, you're good. Lord, I thank you that you, Lord, you were the first. God, you were the first to, to bet your life, to bet your existence, to put yourself uh, really at the mercy of human hands. 
Lord, and you endured the cross. You endured uh, scorn and shame. You gave up your glory, Lord, to come and to live and to teach and to eat and to walk and ultimately to die for us. But God, the story doesn't end there. You were resurrected and you are reigning now. And you are inviting through your Holy Spirit people to come near, to see your abundant kindness and mercy. God, to not wallow in our own mistakes, Lord, but to see that we can bet our life on your abundance, on your grace, and find that you never run out. And so God, today, if there's, if there's some of us in here that have been trying, trying to get by on our own merits, on the things that we can do, and, and sort of shutting you out of different parts of our lives, Lord, Lord, would we come close? Lord, not so you'd fix everything, but so that we could know you, God. Father, I ask that you would make that reality so clear to us that if we were to bet our lives on you, we can't lose. Lord God, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. These guys are going to lead us in a, in a time of response. And as they do that, our, our overseers, our leadership team members are going to be around the room. And so we invite them to take their uh, spots now. Uh, just if you need prayer, if you need somebody to, to just talk to and, and sort of a point of contact, we invite you to do that. Um, this is a time where we worship God in light of what he's done. And so we invite you to stand. Michael and the guys are going to lead us. Let's respond to his rich mercy and grace. And if you need prayer, the, the people that you have chosen to lead are here for you uh, to look you in the eyes and, and tell you uh, the truth about God's love for you.